The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of HealthKick. I'm Tim Borum. Well, there are a lot of cashed up drug developers on the ASX at the moment, given the number of uh, capital raisings in the sector recently. And Neuron Pharmaceuticals is one of them. The Neurological Disorders House is focused on a handful of rare genetic diseases that affect young children. uh, And they're very nasty conditions indeed. Neuron is in the middle of an advanced phase 3 trial for Rett syndrome, a genetic disorder that almost always affects girls in terms of their ability to walk, eat and and, and even breathe at times. Uh, Other disorders uh, targeted by the company are Phelan McDermott, Angelman and Pitt Hopkins syndromes. Now, Neuron's lead compound, by the way, its, um, its drug candidate, is called Trophinotide. Neuron recently raised $20 million of capital to uh, develop these drugs, but it's also backed by its uh, US partner, Acadia, uh, which is funding the uh, Rett syndrome trial. Now, I've got with me Neuron's CEO, John Pilcher, with me to tell me more about uh, the company's clinical uh, and other progress. Uh, so uh, welcome, John. Um, hi, Tim. Thanks very much for having me. No, a pleasure. Um, now, you uh, recently took over from uh, Richard Tragus uh, as CEO, and you were the company's uh, uh, CFO, uh, John. So, uh, d- d- does that uh, does that sort of imply a uh, you know sort of a commercial and uh, numbers oriented approach? Is that is that the discipline you bring? Uh, yeah, so, interesting <laughs> question. I mean, I I was a little bit of an unusual CFO because um, my original training was was a degree in biotechnology in England back many years ago. And I was I was going to be a scientist, and then I'm afraid I sold my soul and became an accountant. But I but I sort of retained the passion for science and for drugs and drug development in particular. So as soon as I qualified, I went back into the industry back in uh, the UK, and always really combined that that passion and sort of you know general sense about the science with with the commercial side. So I think um, you know in my my time at Newer and, and and previous companies, I've always done a lot more than just the finances. So so it was a very natural, um, you know, handover from Richard. We talked about it for for a while, and I was very comfortable doing it. And I, and I do think it's a good time to be taking over. We've got an incredibly exciting period ahead of us, and, and I think you're right that the commercial side of things is, you know, is very important given the late stage that we've got to. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, it sounds it sounds like you were the ideal uh, uh, candidate then. Um, you were sort of the bioscientist who. Ran off and joined the circus uh, in in a, in a way. <laughs> now, how long has Neuron uh, been around for? So, so it's been you know quite some time. I mean, since two thousand and four, but it's but it's had a few incarnations. So, you know, what we're doing at the moment really uh, dates from sort of two thousand and twelve, when when the strategy pivoted to to look at these orphan des, uh, orphan designated um, neurodevelopmental disorders. So really, and that's about the time I joined the company as well. And in fact, the whole management team really has been together since since 2013 uh, for, for the whole journey with Rett syndrome. 
Yeah, okay, okay. Now, now your lead drug, uh, as mentioned, uh, trofinotide, um, but basically, how, how does it work? What's the uh, mechanism of action? Yes, yeah, so, so it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned these five different disorders that we are in clinical trials for, and they all they all result from different mutations. I mean, even on different chromosomes, and yet, interestingly, they all result in a very similar outcome. So, if you look at the, the symptoms across these five disorders, they're incredibly similar, and that's because the you know, the underlying problem is the same, despite all these different mutations, the connections between the brain cells, between the neurons don't form properly in development. And therefore the signaling between them isn't, isn't working properly. So the communication between brain cells, and that's cr critical for so many things. I mean, you mentioned the, 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 the range of symptoms in Rett syndrome. So motor, you know, speech, walking, hand use, intellectual disability, breathing problems, seizures, you know, incredibly wide range of um, symptoms resulting from these, this, this in, um, you know, incorrect signaling in the brain. So our, our drugs are both um, sort of mimicking the action of natural natural molecules that are part of the, the metabolism of, of a very important molecule called IGF-1 in the brain. And that molecule is, is part of um, forming these connections correctly in the first place, both sort of protein synthesis to form them and then, and then a process where cells go around getting rid of connections that are no good. So what happens in development is you're constantly making new connections in the brain and getting rid of old ones as, as you learn. And, and, that, and that's not working properly in these um, conditions. And so what our molecules are doing is really sort of kickstarting the body to fix itself by, by bringing the, the way IGF-1 works back into equilibrium. Um, and we've seen, uh, you know, when, when we look in, in mice, at the effect of the um, drugs, you can you can see these connections under a microscope that are, that are not proper, and after treatment they, they become properly formed. Um, you obviously can't you know can't do that in humans, but um, so 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 that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to fix the underlying problem, and that's very important because that means that we we should be able to have an effect across all these symptoms. Not so this isn't a downstream treatment. You know, trying to treat one of these symptoms. It's, it's really an upstream treatment trying to, trying to fix the underlying condition and, and therefore over time have an impact across all of these very debilitating symptoms. Yes, okay, so, so you're um, uh, attacking the, targeting the, uh, the, fundamental, uh, the fundamental cause. Um, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, now, now you've got uh, uh, orphan indication uh, from the, the US Food and Drug Administration. I, I I think for all of the the, the five conditions you're targeting. Um, yep. So 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 what does that mean? What, what what's the implications of having this orphan indication? Yeah, it's 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 really important. Um, and there's a, there's a number of different things. I mean, the, and the first thing, probably the most immediate thing, is a uh, is a better regulatory environment. So, you know, for example, in in Rett syndrome, we only have to do one phase three trial. Whereas in, in, in non-orphan indications, typically you've got to have two phase three trials. They're often, they're often very large and they've both got to be positive you know, to get approval. So that's a big advantage. And if you look historically at the success rate of orphan drugs, it's significantly higher than the non-orphan um, indications. So, so I guess you know, that it comes down to saying that the risk, the risk is lower. There's a better chance of success. And then when you get to market the... Um, you know, one of the concessions is that you get periods of exclusivity. So in the US, it's seven years. In, in Europe, 
Um, it's 10 years. And during that period, the regulators won't approve a generic copy of the product, even if your patents get challenged. So, so that, that, that's, you know, that gives you much greater commercial certainty. Yes, yes. Okay. So, yeah, there's uh, less, uh, less competition and uh, expedited, expedited um, uh, approval timeline. Yeah, and I think um, you know this this orphan business model is is quite different to to mass markets, and I've you know I've experienced both of these things. And you know, mass markets you'll you'll see people point to a you know huge market, and but there are there are entrenched successful products in there, and and thinking you're going to walk in and just steal share from them unless you've got a you know revolutionary product, it's it's not that simple. Whereas with orphan drugs, what you're trying to do is take a leadership position in a market with very little, if any, competition. Um, and it's at a higher price because the, you know, orphan drugs will typically support much higher prices than, than um, mass market indications. So in my view, that there's just as good or probably a better chance of getting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of sales with, with these sort of products as, as there is with, you know, attacking popular mass markets. Yeah, so I guess I guess what you're saying, John, is that they're 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 rare diseases by by their nature, but they're they're not so rare as to be an unviable drug development proposition. No, no, you, you, you're quite right. So there are in each of these indications, there there are tens of thousands of patients. It's not it's not hundreds of patients. So so you're right. They're all, they're technically rare diseases, but they're not ultra rare, and and there's plenty of patients out there. And and the other important thing, you know, we haven't stated yet, uh, which is critical, really, is that there's no approved treatment for any of these things. So, you know, they and there's and there's such a severe burden on the kids and their families that you know there's just massive unmet need here, which, which we're trying to do something about. So, yeah, I, I'm presuming Rett syndrome of, of the uh, the diseases you're, you're targeting. I, I'm, I'm presuming Rett syndrome is the uh, the most prevalent. Um, no, it's not actually. It's um, oh, okay. so Phelan McDermott and Fragile X um, have quite a probably about three times RET. Um, Angel and a little bit more. Pitt Hopkins is about the same as RET. No, so actually, and, and funnily enough, that, that's why we're so excited with our second drug, NNZ2591, because you know the, the target indications there potentially four times RET, so, so, and we hold on to the, all of the rights at the moment, so, you know, it could be more, more valuable than trifinitide, we think, in the long run. Yeah, okay, okay. You actually mentioned uh, uh, Fragile X uh, there, um, which, which, I, which I was going to get to. Um, so, so that is, uh, are, you, are you actively targeting uh, Fragile X at the moment? So, so that was part of the the Acadia deal. Um, you know, Ret, Ret and Fragile X are the two lead indications for trifinitide. Uh, we we did a phase two study with in Fragile X before we did the deal with Acadia. So we're we're expecting that to be developed for Fragile X in due course. I think I think Acadia is likely to wait for till they get the results with the Ret program before embarking on the next stage. But that's certainly still you know still in our sights. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and so, sort of uh, moving into the clinic, so so to speak, you've uh, your uh, by far the most advanced looks to be the uh, the RETS uh, trials. Seeing it's in the phase three uh, uh, stage, uh, can, can you tell us a bit more about the trial in, in terms of the design and uh, what have you? Yes, yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, most important thing is to to say that the results are expected in the second half of twenty twenty one. 
So you know we're not too far away now from from the end the end game, um, and the really important point is that what Acadia have got to do here is is effectively replicate what we did in phase two. So we ran a phase two trial where there were two endpoints um, in placebo-controlled trial that were statistically significant, clinically meaningful. They're called the RSBQ and the CGII. And what they are is two different ways of looking at the, the, the overall condition of the RET girls. So, you know, as, as we've already talked about, you know, this mechanism of action is, is trying to treat the syndrome overall. So therefore, you've got to measure the syndrome overall. And these, these two measures do that. And one of them is a caregiver measure. So the RSBQ is the caregiver's view of, of the girl. And the CGII is the physician's view of the girl. And so in the phase three trial, those two are co-primary endpoints. So, so they've both got to be positive, which is what they were in phase two. Um, it's being done in the same sites as we used in phase two, so only in the US. So Acadia hasn't introduced any, any more risk by, you know, often you see in phase three trials to get the numbers, people will open sites in, you know, at, in, in Asia and other places. They haven't done yes. that. Yes. Haven't done that. They've got to. They've got to recruit um, 180 girls, which is comfortably done uh, in the US. Um, okay. Do they have the 180 girls yet? Is it fully, in, fully uh, no, enrolled? Not, not yet. So they're still enrolling. But um, so, so it's a 12-week trial. So, um, so to make that second half of next year um, results, you know, they're going to have to finish enrolment by the by mid next year. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. So they're they're, they're happy with how enrolment's going, and uh, um, I mean, we had, had an important thing recently that there was a competing phase three trial um, looking at the use of cannabis in in RET girls, um, and and that's just been terminated. Oh, we, okay, okay. Yeah. So, and we we always felt that our trial would be um, you know given preference by families, but still it, it, it'll help that <laughs> there's not a competing trial going on at the same time. So. Yeah, okay. um, is there much else around uh, by way of other trials uh, apart from uh, the cannabis trial you mentioned? Yeah, there, there's another company called Anavex who are running a it's a phase, phase two stroke three trial, um, but that but that's it. There's very other than that. There's very little going on. Um, yeah, okay. Just just let me mention one more thing about the the trial. Um, again, quite important. So our phase two trial was six weeks of treatment. And I've just mentioned that the phase three trial is 12 weeks, so twice the duration. And what we found, and what we found in all our trials actually, is that the, um, you know, the effect of the drug increases with the length of treatment. So at the end of six weeks, if you look at the trajectory of improvement, you know, it was still, they were still getting better at the same rate. And the, dis and the difference between drug and placebo was increasing at the end of six weeks. So we've always felt you treat longer, you'll get a better result. And, and they're, they're treating for double that length of time. So we think, you know, for all those reasons, we think, you know, that as you as you know well, there's no there's no slam dunk in any clinical trial. But um, we, you know, we really think they've got given it the best possible chance of success. So, you know, very excited to see what what comes next year. Yeah. Okay. And so, so how long has the oldest patient been been treated for? As in um, the oldest treated patient. Yes, yeah, so so, uh, the, so so actually, there's an extra bit to the trial, which um, once they finish the 12 weeks, they can go into an open label extension for another nine months to get 12 weeks treatment. No, sorry, 12 months treatment in total. And 
the first girl that was enrolled hasn't has completed that, so they've done their year's treatment, and then all the all the other girls are at various points in the process. Um, and in fact, what Acadia has also done, which which is something we could never have contemplated from a cost point of view, is they they've uh, put in place a program where after they finish their year's treatment, they can continue to get drug until the FDA approves the the uh, product. So so the girls, if they want to, will stay on the drug until approval oh okay okay um which is always a big advantage isn't it because uh these drugs can be very expensive by their by their nature yes no, no correct and i mean it, it's interesting you know you mentioned mentioned expense i mean that's an important thing to understand you know one of one of the things about the acadia deal which was so important was that they assumed the cost burden completely for this phase three program and and the commercialization, which is, you know, and they're, they're now publicly disclosing the amounts they've spent on it. And it's a very large sum of money. I mean, there's, um, it would have been a very big stretch for us to have done that ourselves. So, uh, and, and it's allowed us to put our funds into the follow-on product. So that, that, that's a critical part of the deal, really. How much are we talking about? Oh, I mean, they, they, they will probably have spent 100 million Aussie in the end. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yes, you need uh, big licks of money for these uh, full uh, phase three trials, don't you? Yeah, you do. yeah. And so um, so they're so so they're funding uh, Arcadia um, are funding that, um, yes. which is uh, uh, very, very very kindly, um, and and so that leaves you to fund the um, uh, the the currently earlier stage trials um, for for the other conditions we uh, we mentioned. Correct. Yes, and that's and you mentioned we did a capital raising in in uh, June, which which bought the funds needed to do that. So we've got twenty six million in cash currently. That's plenty to fund those the three phase two trials, um, which will start off next year. So we are, um, you know, I said we're very excited about this follow on product, um, and and one thing that gives us a big advantage is, as I mentioned to you, you know, the, the whole team's been together for the for the ret the ret journey. And we've learned so much um, through that journey. We're, we're proud of a lot of we, what have we, what have, um, what we've done because there was no one working in Red Syndrome when we started. So we sort of had to create the path. Um, but there are there are things that we also look back and think, oh, we could have done those better, and we could have done this faster. And and we're putting all of that experience into these into these three programs, and we think we can we can get to market quicker than we've done with Red Syndrome. Uh, what's an example of something you discovered you could have done better? Yeah, so good good question. So I think we were we were pretty tentative. It was our first step into neurodevelopmental disorders and the thought of treating kids. And so actually the first um, trial with trofinotide in, in RET was in adults. And it was only four weeks of treatment. Um, and uh, different endpoints, and, and it was just sort of a very tentative start, and and we then subsequently moved into kids, and with a longer treatment, having having discovered stuff about the drug in that first trial. But but if we look back now, we should have gone straight into kids, and and we wish we had, and and we actually we didn't have the right um, non-clinical package to do that because you know, you'll probably recall that that one of Neuron's previous endeavours was in brain injury. And so, in fact, trofinotide started off life as a drug for brain injury, which was an acute treatment. So, so the non-clinical program was not really designed for a, you know, a chronic 
lifelong therapy. So, um, so again, with 2591, we've done things completely differently. We've done the, the preclinical package, the non-clinical package, so that we can go straight into treatment for 12, month, uh, 12 weeks. We can go straight into kids, um, which so effectively we're missing out a whole stage that we, that we had to do, which took many years with, with, uh, with Rett syndrome. Yeah, okay. And seeing you are targeting kids, um, w- would you be applying for the uh, paediatric sort of fast-track designation w- with the uh, FDA? Yeah, so they um, so Acadia already has rare paediatric disease designation for the Rett syndrome program. Ah, okay. Which I think, as you probably know, it comes with this the the, uh, the benefit that if you get marketing approval, you you can get a priority review voucher, which is usable for another product, and they're tradable, and 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 they've been sold typically for sort of a hundred million dollars and upwards, um, and and under the Acadia deal, we get a third of that. Whatever they sell the voucher for, we get a third of. Yes, they're quite valuable assets, aren't they? They, they are indeed. Um, and so, interestingly, and I guess think things are a little bit in turmoil in the US at the moment. But there's yes. there's something before the Senate at the moment waiting for their approval to extend that program into the future, which would mean we'd be able to do it for two five nine one. It was going to expire in September. That program wasn't it? C- correct. So, but but it's got through. Um, House of Representatives and is now in the Senate to to extend it further, which would certainly give us the opportunity to uh, to use it for two five nine one. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, partnering, uh, you've got Acadia in the US. Um, are you looking at uh, partnering options elsewhere? Yeah. Yes, we are. And so maybe uh, if you don't mind, let me, let me just talk a little bit about the Acadia deal because that then impinges on what we're doing everywhere else. So, so I mentioned, you know, they're, them taking on the funding, which is very important. But also, the key part of the deal was that they have rights to trifinitide for North America only, and we retain rights for the rest of the world. And also, really importantly, have free and full access to all of the data that they generate uh, to use to, to register around the world. So, so if we get positive phase three results, we're going to have you know really valuable asset there, and you know we've already had a lot of discussions with people, with um, potential partners in Europe and in and in a few parts of Asia as well, um, and so we will certainly be moving to 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 um, you know implement the commercial strategy next year for, for the rest of the world, and then there's two five nine one which we retain all the rights to globally. Um, so we're sort of under no pressure to, to partner that currently. I think um, we're going to build a lot of value into it with these phase two trials. I think once we've got phase two data, uh, which hopefully won't be too too long after we've got the phase three data for Trafinitide, you know, we're then in a really strong position to to look at the company and think, well, what, what's the best way forward? Are we going to partner with a number of different parties? Are we going to partner with one? Are we going to become a commercial organisation? I think you know we're going to have a bunch of options, which in, which in this industry is always the most important thing. Yes, yes, indeed, it's good to have the uh, optionality. So, so in summary, John, as far as investors go, what what sh- what should they be looking out for? It sounds like the uh, it, it sounds like the, uh, the the phase three results, uh, which I think you said later next year, uh, w- would be the uh, the key inflection point. Yeah, I mean, so, so we've got a massive year next year, and, that, and that's always been the case. So, so you're right. The phase three results, obviously, incredibly important. We'll also be um, getting the okay from the FDA to to start the phase two trials in in two five with two five nine one and get into those. 
In January, we're going to have you know important stepping stones towards that. We've got phase one results coming. We're just running that trial at the moment in, in Australia, and we're waiting for orphan drug designation decisions from um, Europe, which are also due in January. So I think that you know leading into that phase three result, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of very important stepping stones on two five nine one. Which we'll, which we'll be reporting progress on. And then in the background, we'll be working on our partnering strategy you know, through the year. Excellent. Uh, okay, well, it sounds like there's a lot uh, um, uh, going on. So um, uh, good luck with uh, the, uh, the trials and, and the result, particularly from the point of view of the, the young uh, sufferers of, of, of these conditions. Tim, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Let me just emphasize again, you know, we're highly motivated to do something about all of these conditions because, uh, you know, we, we, we talk with the families and, um, you know, there, there's, there's such a huge need there. And if we can succeed here, it'd be great for shareholders, but it'd be obviously fantastic for, for many families around the world. Hopefully beneficial for both parties. Indeed. <laughs> okay. Th- thanks, John. Thanks a lot, Tim. Cheers. Bye.